Shall we open the scriptures to Romans chapter 16? Romans chapter 16. This is going to be a mission for me to read it, and probably a joke for you as we as you follow along, because there's about 26 odd different names in here. And um, pronunciation is going to differ from person to person, so um, I don't mind if you smile, okay? Let's commence reading at verse 1 of Romans chapter 16. And um, today we're going to wrap this uh, book of Romans up. Chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a servant of the church which is at Chentria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself also has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epanatus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus. And Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Statius, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philegion, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philagus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Titus, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And also Cordus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. I'm sure the Lord will add a blessing to his word this morning. Last Sunday afternoon, no doubt like many of you, I sat down and watched the Ashes cricket series come to an end with a well-earned 5-0 victory going to Australia. I usually switch off as soon as the game is finished. and um, But this time I chose to watch the interviews, you know, when they interview individual players and... Um, especially those who had superb, uh, performed superbly. And um, I watched them, and then finally, the captain, Michael Clark was asked to come to the podium and to speak on behalf of the team, which he had led to a clean, sweet victory. And being a good diplomat, his speech was full of praise and honour, and thankfulness to his team and to the coaches and to the supporters and to the sponsors. And um, he, he praised the, the united effort of all these people and all his team and keyed that in as being what brought about this victory, the united effort. But included in his general acknowledgement he made special mention of players who stood out. Those who were, can we say, distinctively exceptional in this long-awaited cricket triumph. Now as we come to the end of the book of Romans, this chapter 16, Paul sounds like he is giving one of those special mention of those who stand out or those who are distinctively exceptional kind of speeches or addresses. He concludes his letter with a, with a long list of personal greetings and, and commends people whom he valued. Okay? He commends people whom he valued. People who were of special significance to him in the gospel ministry. He commends them, he honours them for their dedicated partnership with him in this victorious ministry of the gospel of God. But as we ponder these names, like you have done this morning, even though very briefly, we must conclude that apart from this text, these people are unknowns, right? We read detailed accounts of the exploits of the great apostles and other men and women throughout the scriptures and men and women that God has used for the gospel. But these folks, these folks that we've read this morning, in the main, they're unknowns. Apart from this text. In other words, they were ordinary people. Ordinary, might I say, just like us. But you know what? These people were servants that God 
chose from eternity past to save and in time to use for his glory. And Paul takes time to acknowledge them for their input in the ministry. He names at least 26 people plus some house churches, those whom Paul himself felt privileged to partner with in the ministry. Those whom Paul felt close to. Those whom stood out to him. These people, though being ordinary, they were distinctively exceptional in serving Paul in the wider church community and also in the proclamation of the gospel. So what we see here in this chapter is Paul, the great theologian, right? The theologian, the one who was the teacher of the truth, the one who had just delivered this mighty treatise of truth in the book of Romans. Here was the man, now a pastor. A pastor, here he exposes his shepherd heart with expressions of love and affection and gratitude. For the Lord's people, his fellow slaves in Christ. Also like in this chapter, this chapter 16, and you will probably resonate with this somewhat, to a plane coming into land, you know. And as it taxis up to the terminal, the flight is over. And this is when we tend to reach down and unbuckle our seatbelts, except for the lady that comes on over on the loudspeaker. We tend to unbuckle our seatbelts far too early at this stage as we get ready and prepare for the exit. And so in this chapter, this, this doctrinal treatise has been delivered, the truth has been said, and this is where we can tend to unbuckle our seatbelts, so to speak, and get ready to exit, or we turn to switch off. But folks, these names are undoubtedly recorded in Scripture for our encouragement, for our learning, for Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw fit to leave them on record for us. So don't exit Romans yet, okay? Just hang in there for this one last chapter. And so in my message this morning, I want to draw your attention not to each individual. Not to each individual. Because all their names, names mean something, and that would be an interesting exercise to go through, but not appropriate for an occasion like this. So we're not going to look at each individual, but what we see in this chapter is there are two groups of people that Paul highlights. And so we're going to look at those he honours, those who faithfully serve the Lord in building his kingdom, and secondly, those he warns us of. Those who deceive and hinder the building of God's kingdom. Okay, That's what we're going to do this morning. So let's have a look at a brief look at these two groups. The first is those who serve in building God's kingdom. We see this in verses 1 to 16 and, and another mention of names in 22 to 23. You know, too often we think of being employed by God to serve. When we think about that, we get the idea that this special kind of eternal work is only for special kind of people. And um, I was just talking to a gentleman last week, and um, that was one of his beefs, that um, in all the churches that he'd been to, uh, there seemed to be a hierarchy, you know? Those are the Lord's servants, those are the servants that people use, and everyone else are just laymen, and so you just sit and listen and do nothing. But that's not the case. You know, 
We are special. I don't want you to get, get that wrong. Because if you're thinking that this is only for special people, you are exactly right on that. Because every born-again child of God is special to the Lord, right? Absolutely special. Uniquely special. And each one of us is called to a special work. That is the work of serving in the ministry. The gospel mission at, at some level or other. And so no, no true believer escapes this call. So whether you like it or not, we are, every born again believer, every true Christian is in the kingdom building business. We are slaves employed by the master to further the gospel for the building of the Lord's church. And, and that is what the Great Commission is about, as you will know well. It's recorded at the end of the Gospel of Matthew and the end of Mark. And it's all about this imperative call, this command. It, it's, it's a call that, that true faith in Jesus Christ belongs to obey. You got that? It's a call that true faith in Jesus Christ will long to obey. Faith and obedience and obedience and faith, they go hand in hand. Like a horse and carriage, as some would say. Because true faith will produce obedience to the word of God. And that is what Paul's letter to the Romans begins with and it ends with, by the way. It's important. Paul writes of the obedience of faith in verse 5 of chapter 1, and he bookends his whole book letter with the same expression in 26, the verse 26 of our chapter here this morning. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it demands that we obey by faith or through faith God's revelation of himself in his son Jesus Christ. It demands that. That's why Jesus, when he began to preach, which is a good way to start if you want to know what to preach, right? What did he preach? He commanded every man everywhere to repent. Okay? Repent and believe. That was the commandment. A command to be obeyed. And that is the goal of the gospel. It's to whosoever, to hearers of the gospel, so that they might arrive at the obedience that comes from faith. And this is a very, very important thing. Because we can get this totally twisted up. If your obedience does not drive itself or is driven by faith, you are on a wrong course. You can be obedient to read the Bible. You can be obedient to pray. You can be obedient in being baptized. Baptized. You can be obedient in coming to church. You can be obedient on doing whatever thing. But it is not in absolute faith in Jesus Christ. If that's not the motive, if it's not faith that's driving that, that's nothing but legalism. See what I mean? And so, if we think that, wow, to do this and to do that, or to do something else, I've, I've really got to rise and, and go up the ladder as the spiritual ladder, that's not faith. It may be obedience, but it's not coming from faith. And so, this is what Paul is, is vitally keyed in on here at this chapter. And so, the goal of the gospel to whosoever, as I said before, the hearers, is that they might arrive at obedience that comes from faith. Now, folks... Too often also, too often also, as believers, we're saved and we've been brought into the kingdom. But because of our flesh and our humanity, we begin to get sloppy. And our needful, ongoing obedience that comes from faith begins to wane, right? It begins to wane. I know because I've experienced it. Too many times. 
my pursuing of God's purposes and my serving and the building of God's kingdom by faith, it can be too easily put on a lower shelf of priority. My ongoing faith and trust in the Lord can plummet to such low ebb that I do not look to the Lord. But you know who I look to? Myself. I look inwardly. And I can easily begin to say, I'm just too unworthy. I'm not good enough. I haven't got that gift. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I don't know enough of the scriptures. I'm not talented enough to obey God in that direction. Ever been there, folks? Ever experienced that kind of faithless invasion that does not produce obedience to Christ, but only produces things like indifference, apathy, and mediocrity? But worst of all, but worst of all, it produces a counterfeit faith in yourself and not in the Lord. That's what it produces. My dear people, may we see God's gospel program or God's gospel building program as that which demands our obedient service, absolutely, our obedient service, driven and motivated purely by faith in Christ alone. For that kind of obedience is the only kind that will ever earn or ever gain those words that we long to hear, well done thy good and faithful servant. The writer of the Hebrews said it pretty clearly and plainly, isn't it? And sometimes we don't think of it like this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So even coming to church here this morning, if that's not an act of faith, if that's not an obedience that is driven by faith in Christ and His blood and His bread, that, that's, uh, that speaks of His body and His shared blood, if you haven't come to church that is driven by faith, you must not have come at all. You're on the wrong track. So as special as this divine and waiting calling is on our lives, and we are, it is a waiting calling, it is not specialists that God calls to get his job done, right? It's not specialists. We see this inferred in this long list of names before us. And at this point I want to encourage you uh, with these folk that they were all different. This is the first thing I want you to notice. They were all different. So God uses different people. He, he, he does that. And we see here, there were men, there were women, there were Jews, there were Gentiles, there were, there were families, there were friends, there were those who were approved mentors, there were some who were like converts first time. There, there was a whole variety of people in here. And, and I love actually as I read this. I thought, wow, look at them. From all shapes and sizes and differences, there's, there's a whole lot of differences in here. I guess even in this little church this morning, we can resonate with that this morning. Because... I know that we're a whole different bunch of people. And uh, being a pastor for as long as I have, I've sort of got to know a few of you, and yeah, and I know myself, and yeah, we are a different bunch. But praise God for that, right? We have different backgrounds, there's different genders, there's different ethnicity, there's different careers and ages. Uh, you name it, we have it. For starters, folks, understand that God has a work for you because He uses what? Ordinary people... And different people to reach out and be vessels that pours His grace into other people's lives. And God uses our differences, our differences to build His kingdom. So don't be put off by your difference. Secondly, 
these people were not only different, but they were used by God in different ways. Now, Paul gives evidence of this in citing how God used these folks in the ministry. He describes some of them. Some he could record that they were a great help. Okay? A great help. Some, he says, worked hard. That, that word, worked hard, it, it, it's, uh, it means they worked to the point of exhaustion. In other words, this is a, and putting a, a, a common terminology on it, there were some people who burnt themselves out for God. That's what that word means, worked hard. It's not used loosely like we would do. Phoebe, she was a deaconess. That's the word deacon, by the way. A servant. She was a servant. She was a deaconess. And um, she was a helper of many and also Paul himself. Others are fellow workers. In other words, that means they work in partnership. Others like Priscilla or Prisca and Aquila. They laid their lives on the line in the call of duty for Paul. The mother of Rufus. See, Peter's got a genealogy right through the scripture. Meaning choice man. He didn't know he's in the scripture, but he knows now. He, he, was, this lady was like, like a mother to Paul. It wasn't his mother in the flesh, but she was such a lady that she mothered Paul. That could be a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm thinking here that it was Paul loved this, you know. She, she mothered Paul. She treated him like her own son. These people are not necessary preachers or upfront leaders, but what a commendation they were given. They offered in faith all that they could do and be for the cause of the gospel. These folks were examples of what Paul was speaking and told them about in chapter 12 and verse 1. These people were examples of being living sacrifices. This was their service of worship. These ordinary people with all their differences were involved in the Lord's mission in different ways and have their names stamped forever with God's approval for us to see and I believe emulate. Let's ask ourselves here, folks, as by way of application, let's ask ourselves, what different kind of ways are we willingly serving the Lord? Earlier in this letter, Paul said, we don't have all the same function. Remember we read that back a few chapters? We have different gifts, we have different abilities, we have different ministries. And this is why we can all be involved in the Lord's work as a united team. This is why. And, and I've been so encouraged, and so many of others here, as we've seen the team effort here at New Community Church, especially of late. And I believe that's because there's opportunity being given where we never had perhaps that same opportunity before. But it's been really great to see the team gathering around and, and working for a common cause in the gospel. And we're going to have lots more opportunity of that, believe you me. But it's got to be obedience that's driven from faith, right? That's why we have that in our billboard, Christ exalted, Christ centered. That's what we are. And that's what we must be driven by. And so I've been so encouraged, but there's still work to be done. We have an ongoing need, for example, for keeping this building tidy. I saw Alex out there vacuuming the floor. Well, there's a lot of other people that share doing it. I know there's going to be a cleaning roster, but I'll fail to see it happen yet. We have a need for ongoing discipleship of others in this church. People have asked me to come alongside them. 
I don't have to be the one that does it all. I know some of you people out there are well versed and more better equipped to do a one-on-one getting together with a couple than I am. We have a need of others to serve in the music ministry. I know some of you people out there have got a bit of music behind you. I can't even clap in time, so you count me out, right? We have a need of those to minister to hurting and lonely people. We have an opportunity to be more involved in existing ministries that need your input and support. People like Sunday, things like Sunday school and home groups that will be coming up soon. And as I said before, discipleship. The point is this. Our differences as people, God uses for his glory. And he also uses our different ways for the building up of his kingdom through the gospel. We also see that God uses people in loyal friendships. And we see this in verses 47. Four and seven. I would suggest if anyone puts their life on the line for your sake, or maybe shares a prison cell with you for the sake and the cause of the gospel, which would be the only way that would go into a cell, I hope, you're going to have a special bond with that person, right? And this is what Prisca and Aquila did. They risked their lives for Paul. Imagine that. Think about that. Andronicus and Junius, they did time, some hard time with Paul in prison. They willingly suffered for Christ with Paul. Now that's loyalty, folks. That's loyalty. These kind of people are special and rare. And so when you come across people like this, you hang on to them, right? You value them. You never let them go. Your true friends, of course, like this. Those who remain loyal. Those who you can count on in the crisis. It can't be that you will only find them or see them when crisis hits. can't be that. You will find them when you are under the pressures of life, maybe. Who is there to help? Who's come to your side? Maybe when you're under attack of unjust criticism, who comes to your defense? Who comes alongside you and comforts you and offers help in any way that they can in the situation? Or maybe when you're lying sick near death's door, who comes to your bedside and comforts you and prays with you in a time of deep need? Who does that? Or when you feel trapped and spiritually depressed and in dire need of encouragement, who willingly in grace and love comes along and counsels you from the word of God for your spiritual edification? Who does that? Who's loyal to you for your own spiritual and physical well-being? Or on the other side of the cord, or on the other side of the cord, who are you loyal to? Even if the cost might be heavy, where your finances, your time, your personal preferences, or even maybe your very life is put on the line. Who are your love? Who are you loyalty? What are we going to do, folks, when opportunities to be a loyal friend to someone comes across our pathway? What are we going to do in being loyal for the sake of the gospel? Or when the going gets tough, what are we going to do? We're we going to flee. Wouldn't be the first time it happened. Believe it or not, Jesus' own disciples fled 
when the going got tough. Remember that? They all forsook him. In the most deepest hour of his need, there was no one there. Even Peter denied him with oaths and curses. Praise the Lord, he was restored. See, Paul acknowledges here different people, folks, and and different ways God used them and his loyal friends. So how and where do we fit in this especially significant list? Maybe that maybe this would be a good exercise for us. Over the next few days, I want you to jot down. I want you to take this seriously. Over the next few days or this next week, I want you to jot down on a piece of paper all those you have known and you know that have been used by God to impact your life for good and for His grace. Those who have instructed you, those who have nurtured you, those who have strengthened you in the faith, those who have encouraged and brought joy to your life, have stood out and been there when the going got tough for you. I want you to jot their names down. Take your time. Have a big think back. You may go back years. Some of us go back a lot lot more years than others. And then after that, you thank God for these people. You thank God for them. For each one of them and all that God has done through them for you. And then take another step like the Apostle Paul did. Don't just leave it there. That's what we tend to do, by the way. Don't just leave it there. I want you to take another step like the Apostle Paul, and I want you to contact these people. That's if you can. Some of them might have gone to glory. I don't know. I want you to contact these people and let them know how and why you have valued them. Can you do that? This brings us to Paul's second group of people. Those who deceive and obstruct God's kingdom. We see this in verses 17 to 20. Now, when we come upon this in verses 17 to 20, it's like an interruption in, in, uh, in Paul's closing remarks, isn't it? You know, his terse warning about those who deceive and disrupt uh, and cause division is, is, is like a directional wind shift. But if we note how he ended verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ greet you. Uh, when we read that, the sudden subject shift is not surprising. And why I say that is, the holy kiss of greeting, note there, it's a holy kiss, not just a kiss, it's a holy kiss. When I kiss my wife, it's not always holy, but it can be holy, but you know what I mean. (laughs) You know what I mean. It's a holy kiss. There was a few holy kisses going on around here this morning, as we greet one another, right? See, the holy kiss of greeting one another was and still is a token of a believer's love and unity with one another. That's what it is, right? But we all know exactly how easily this love and unity in a church, like in any home, it can be shattered or disrupted. It can be blown asunder very easily. And so that's why Paul jumps in here and warns the assembly at Rome to be on guard, to be aware of those who would disrupt the unity and love that God commands among his people. Paul jealously guards this vital characteristic of the local church. So he sees it important that he disrupt the natural flow of his letter and to warn of this dangerous divisive potential that was in his day 
and might I say nothing changes and is still in our day. One person with a selfish, petty attitude, one person who refuses to forgive, one person who maybe is dissatisfied with the music style, all these things, and they can result in spiritual grief and disunity, if not kept in check and not dealt with. But, Paul is not talking about those kind of immature preferences or any hair-splitting interpretations that we have to deal with all the time. Right? He's not talking about those kind of things that I just mentioned. He instructs us about... He actually, he does instruct us about those kind of things in other places. For instance, in, in, um, in 2 Timothy 2.23, he says, Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations that only produce quarrels. Refuse them. Don't bother going there. Don't get into arguments with people about such things. Titus chapter 3 verse 9 is another instruction about that. He says there, shun foolish controversies, etc., for they are unprofitable and worthless. That's what he calls them. So he does give instructions about those kind of things that we just mentioned. And, um, but here in our text, it is all the more serious in that we are warned of those who would cause division and hindrances. That is where their agenda is all about challenging and undermining divinely inspired apostolic teaching. This is what this is about. This is far more serious. Those who would undermine and, and challenge the word, the truth from God. Now, no doubt, at this occasion, Paul had Judaizers in mind, right? And because they were doing a fair bit of that, and you pick it up all the way through his epistles, especially in the Book of Galatians, and. Um, and even to some extent, he had to rebuke Peter because Peter was sort of siding with the Judaizers and it was causing a bit of a division. So no doubt he had those in mind. But today, folks, let's just take a quantum leap over this historical gap and bring it to our day. But today, you know, we have many who depart from the Scriptures and promote and push another gospel that is divisive in the body of Christ and a hindrance to God's true kingdom-building work we do. We have heaps of them. We must keep, what we must do, we must keep our eye on. That's what it says, keep your eye on. You know what that word means? We must scrutinize. It's where we get the word scope from. You know, when we talk about microscope or telescope, both those instruments are where we can actually look into the detail. And so this is what we do. We're to keep our eye on, we're to scrutinize these people and their teaching. We must examine them carefully. Then what? Then what? Then what are we to do? It says we're to turn away from. You see that? Turn away from them. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, and no doubt many of you here, it never ceases to amaze me how many professing Christians, and in the name of unity, in the name of so-called Jesus Christ or whatever else, willingly forgo truth which they have learned and sit blindly under peddlers of the gospel. Those who would grandstand their religious gimmicks and articulate a health and wealth and prosperity gospel, those are the kind of deceivers and obstructors that we must keep our eyes on and turn away from folks. 
Let us be discerning in this area of our personal ministry. You know, many Christians, sad to say, fail to keep their eye on these charlatans and hucksters who peddle the gospel. These men are not slaves of Christ, as our text says. They're not slaves of Christ. They're all about aggrandizing themselves and filling their own pockets and making a name for themselves or for their church through deceiving words to gullible hearers. That's what happens. It never ceases to amaze me. And our instruction is from the Word of God. Keep your eye on them. And then turn away from them. Paul here then places a positive spin on this by encouraging believers in verse 19. You know, he along with many others had heard of the amazing obedience uh, of of the uh, Roman believers. And and this rejoiced the socks of Apostle Paul. His heart was full of joy over it. And, um, and Paul encourages them, and he says, and, and to continue pursuing what is good and being innocent what is evil. How? How do they do that? How do they continue pursuing what is good and being innocent what is evil? You see that? Obedience to the truth. That's how they do it. Obedience to the truth. You know, how we need, folks, how we need to be familiar and versed in the truth of God's word. How we need that. Because if you're not familiar and are not in the process of learning and growing in the truth of the scripture and, and taking more on board. If you're not in that process and not growing in the word of God. You won't know how to pursue what is good and shun that which is evil. Because you won't know the difference. And you'll be fodder for the deceivers and the dividers of the church. And you rely on your own feelings and own feel-good feelings and then be deceived and sucked into these hucksters and charlatans. You know, it's a bit like the best way of knowing when a counterfeit bill of money comes, um, comes across into your hand. The best way of knowing is that become so familiar with the real thing, right? That's what they used to do in the old days. You had people who would just handle dollar bills, $10 bills, $100 bills, $50 bills. They'd handle them, handle them, handle them. That was their job. And so that when a false way came across... They knew exactly what it was. That's what it must be with the word of God. And so if you're not in that process, if you're not placing yourselves willingly because you have faith in Christ and faith in what God said, you obey, you obey by, by becoming familiar and learning the word of God. Very dangerous growth. So how do we know the real servants of God versus deceivers? May we who are different and we who serve in different ways be men and women who are so grounded in the truth that by faith we obey the truth and never deceived. Just in conclusion, time is well gone. So what do we do? What do we do? How can we handle these different groups of people? First of all, let's be a little bit more proactive in celebrating and being grateful for the builders, right? We need to do that. You know, we maybe it's an Australian, New Zealand, or Western thing. No, I wouldn't say Western. I really am encouraged sometimes when I go to America. I find there's a difference in this between the likes of us. You know, we tend to be tainted with conservatism in this area. We tend to hesitate on individual gratitude, I believe. And when I say, you go to America and some of the churches there... Uh, one of the things that first, these people are so thankful. They're so grateful when you do stuff. 
They actually verbalize it. Now, they may mean it or may not, but at the end of the day, there's something that, that, that you notice. I, I, I don't know what it is, but that's what it is. We don't seem to hear that. You know, we, we seem to be hesitant and, and more conservative down here. And, you know, let us be a church. Let us be a church that learns to know what it is to commend one another in all our differences who are employed in different ways to build God's kingdom. Write a letter, send an email, tell others verbally how you value them and thank them for their word of encouragement or, or, or just what they do that has encouraged you. Second, we are to turn away from the destroyers. Now I need to mention, this does not mean isolate ourselves from them, right? It doesn't mean that you go and hide in a holy cave somewhere and, um, uh, and do whatever, no. No such thing as a holy cave. We're in the world, but not of it, right? It's the same sort of idea. We're in the world, but not of it. You know, we're going to rub shoulders with deceivers and those who are being deceived and who are promoting the deceiver's message all the time. Probably not a day goes by or a week goes by we don't come, some, come across some stuff that we need to, okay, what's he saying there? And discern and scrutinise. But that doesn't mean that we join them and go soft on their evil deceptions. It's easy to go soft, but no, no, we can't go soft. It's a little bit like the boat, you know, that's perfectly safe in the water. But when the water gets in the boat, that's when there's problems. So be very careful. Understand, folks, we become like the people we allow to influence us. And if we surround ourselves with humble servants of God, we will see greater humility in ourselves. If we surround ourselves with narrow-minded and judgmental people, that is what we will become, believe you me. If we surround ourselves with those who love, we will love. And if we surround ourselves with selfish malcontents, we will become like them. May we, in faithful obedience to the truth, turn from our foes. And one day soon, because you know what? One day soon, God will turn on Satan and he will crush him, listen to this, under our feet. That's going to be an awesome day. The Ashes series victory is going to be nothing compared to that. He will crush him under our our feet. Didn't say his feet, our feet. My dear people, are you a friend that others value as a kingdom builder? Do you have friends that you value for your spiritual encouragement? Let us value our friends and beware of our foes.